0: at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live Studios in Eggleston Square. And tonight, also simulcast on our sister radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. Tonight, a two-part show, uh, all politics as is our usual want, and in the first half, but well, we'll catch up with the executive director of the Democrats for Ed Reform. Uh, they've been working on several levels to try and make changes in the system, especially BPS, but across the state. And tonight we'll talk about a survey they did in conjunction with Mass Inc. polling, which showed some fairly widespread dissatisfaction with the uh, public schools. Uh, also catch up on uh, Mayor Wu's uh, latest proposal to... Uh, upgrade the Boston Public Schools, including moving the O'Brien Exam School out to the uh, former West Roxbury High School campus. Then in the second half, we shift back to, uh, well, it is an election year, a city council election year. And with the decision of Frank Baker, a District Three counselor, not to run for re-election, it's drawn a big field. And tonight, we'll start talking with those candidates joining me. Matt Patton, he is a labor lawyer, He's thrown his hat into the ring, is off to a quick start, raising money, and we'll find out what got him into this race. All that and more tonight on Talking to the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisley, your host. And in this first half tonight, uh, pleased to have joining me again back to talk with us some more about uh, the state of education, certainly here in Mass, but especially in the Boston Public Schools. Uh, just two days ago, the mayor and uh, the new superintendent, uh, who's just uh, reached her one-year anniversary, uh, announced a, a major revamp. Of the Boston Public School high schools, starting with uh, the proposed relocation of the uh, John D. O'Brien uh, School of Exam School for Mathematics and uh, to the former West Roxbury High School campus in West Roxbury, and then the expansion of the uh, oh. Madison Park Volk Tech School into that portion of uh, the John D. O'Brien and uh, some expanded programming there and. Uh, I'm pleased to have with me tonight someone who knows a lot about all of this. <laughs> uh, she's been following closely and uh, advocating for the schools for a long time. And, and Mary Tamer joins us again, the Executive Director of the Democrats for uh, Education Reform. Nice to have you here, Mary. Thanks, Anzose. Joe. Yep. So nice to yep. be here. And, um, well, uh, that's a pretty, uh, I think, uh, expansive uh, Bold uh, idea. I mean, uh, you know, I think the high schools have been, you know, can kind be of in some ways forgotten because uh, so much attention is paid to the, uh, the uh, you know, other schools. But uh, long overdue, I think, uh, for a lot of people at least. What, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, you know what, I think people have been waiting for high school redesign joe for many many years (laughs) now i know that even former mayor marty walsh had talked about it um for a long time and so it's exciting to see whenever city hall and our mayor are talking about and focused on education in boston it's a wonderful thing to see i think that whenever we make changes whether these are good changes or questionable (laughs) changes I think there's all, you're always faced with resistance. So I think one of the things that families, what we've heard families really want to see is a comprehensive plan. Like we've lost a lot of students over the years, not right? just because of the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic. And so... The big question is, what are we gonna do to reshape, revamp education in the city of Boston? How are we going to account for the enrollment losses that we've seen? There's
0: a lot of empty seats. A lot of
1: empty seats and they're expensive. It costs us, you know, I think if we're looking over a four year time period, we're talking about about $110 million spent on the excess capacity that the district has. Um, we're, We're looking at, we have lost so many students that we could literally fill 16 and a half school buildings with the number of wow. students that we've lost. So it's long overdue for us to do something. I think one of the things we're gonna be looking at, and I know city councilor, Aaron Murphy, put out a statement saying, you know, we should have talked to community about this though. No. Like it is very difficult to make such broad changes. And even if they are the right changes, and I think there's some really positive things for us to be looking at, um, the question always is, how did we involve community in this decision-making mm-hmm. process?
0: Well, of course, uh, and and uh, play a little devil's advocate here. Of sure. course, uh, there's been talked for quite a while since the West Roxbury High School closed about the what's the best reuse for it, and so yeah. uh, you know, uh, maybe not what people were thinking, but uh, uh, doesn't seem to be a bad idea. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, lots of space there to to work on, but and the the flip side of it is of course, uh, the other side of it, I should oh. say is uh, there seems to there has been support and there seems to be growing support for expanding the vocational educational offerings mm-hmm. that you know not everybody is ready for college, yeah although you know many students that now go through ed schools go on to to college, so I'm not suggesting that's not possible but uh, uh what happens uh you know when a proposal like this is put forth, though, and uh, uh, should we give the mayor some credit for at least, uh, you know, kind of uh, taking a chance or putting some uh, yes. some of her political capital behind it?
1: Absolutely. I think we know that something needs to change. Yeah. We know that our high schools are in dire need of yeah. of um, renovations, yeah. improvement in programming, all of the above. So I think, yes, absolutely, Mayor Wu is, is, is due credit for putting forth and superintendent skipper yeah. uh, for putting forth a bold proposal that i think families truly have been waiting for um, madison park when we look at madison park in relation to the other voc tech schools across the state mm-hmm. we it has been woefully inadequate for our right. students yeah. right and when you look at the population i mean there are some challenges we're going to have to addre- address joe and so when we look at the dwindling enrollment Madison Park has about, I think, just over 1,000 students now. Mayor Wu's talking about building that school out to 2,200 students. Now, where we're losing the greatest percentage of enrollment is in the upper grades. Like, Mm -hmm. we start seeing double-digit attrition after fifth grade in Uh the BPS. And so when I think about a comprehensive plan of Mm -hmm. what is the district, what are the number of schools we need, what are the grades we need as well? And so when I think about West Roxbury High and it is it's it needs work because it's been neglected for a number oh, of yeah. years Mayor Menino spent $15 million on the grounds outside, which are currently used for community sports programming. It's a 44-acre campus. We don't have any other schools like this school. And because West Roxbury High was built on wetlands in the early 1970s, we actually can't tear that building down. Our only option is to (laughs) renovate it. It's almost 400,000 square feet. So it is a real opportunity, but the question I have is, Have we looked closely enough at the data to know what are the grades that we should be having? If we're going to be building out schools and building out our system, Mm -hmm. do we need another 7 through 12 school there? Do we need another K to 8 school there? So those are some of the questions, and I think without a comprehensive facilities plan, we don't have the answers to those Mm -hmm. questions just yet.
0: Well, and uh, there was no price tag put on it. I don't don't want to... go on too long it was just announced so you know i think there'll be lots of time to kind of talk about it and digest it but uh no real price tag put on it and of course they'd be looking to the state to get you know probably a pretty good portion of the money they've Uh,
1: said 18 million dollars is going to be dedicated to the west roxbury high project as part of a sort of a planning and development study mm -hmm. to figure out what exactly does the building need in order to be uh, what we needed it to that's be. That's just to, for,
0: the, the planning? That's,
1: that's just the planning and development, correct. So yeah. it's not an inexpensive proposition.
0: Well, and given the fact that there is, you know, the loss of uh, all these uh, students, uh, I mean, there's, and there's all these empty seats, wouldn't it behoove the city to look more closely at consolidating and closing? And uh, of course, that's a A whole nother thing. You wanted to talk about controversy. Uh, Yes, you know uh, that's like lighting the match. You know it
1: is, and I think regardless of how well um, a school may or may not be performing, Mm -hmm. when you announce a closure of a school or a consolidation, it's a it's a painful process. It's painful for the families, Mm -hmm. for the students, for the the entire school community um, as well. And so, um, when I served on the Boston School Committee, Mayor Menino had announced a plan. I think initially we were. Going to close somewhere around 17 schools and yeah, school I'm programs. I think it went re, was reduced to 13 or 14. It was a very difficult process. Yeah. This was were back they back closed? 2010. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We closed a number. Um, like even at West Roxbury High School, there used to be four smaller right. academies. Right. We went down to two. But a number of schools were closed, and just I think at the last school committee meeting, they voted to merge two smaller school communities in the Rosendale area. Um, you know, these are these are tough decisions to make. But again. The question we really need to ask ourselves is are we willing to continue to put 40-50 million dollars a year toward the cost of empty seats because the fixed costs of our system don't change the cost that we're like whether a teacher has 32 children in a classroom under the contract okay. or if they have 13 which many of our high schools only have 13 kids in a class we're still paying those expensive fixed costs. And so um, we really need to look at like what what kind of investments do we want to make. I personally don't want to see us put $110 million over four years toward empty seats. I think we could have robust summer programming for every kid in the bps right. like there's so much more
0: private tutors you know private tutors <laughs> high dosage
1: tutoring which hasn't yeah. really happened yeah, um, yeah. to help students regain so much of what they missed out on
0: well and you talk about the costs and I, I, i'm not sure if anyone's listening exactly to this although you know i think that the point is it's perhaps it's, it's not a question of spending the money it's what you spend it on because uh, uh, and I'm not sure who did this study, but it uh, came out showing that Boston has now moved ahead of New York City as the most expensive per pupil yeah. cost in the country. Yeah, And uh, it uh, leads a lot of people to ask, what are we getting for it? I mean, it was like, a, if I recall correctly, 31,000. 31, 31, 31, I knew it was over thirty. Yeah. Uh, and versus uh, New York City was around 25 mm-hmm. But uh, you know that's a pretty pi- price to pay, it, so to speak. It's a
1: huge price to pay, and again, a lot of it comes down to the fact that we are we have not right-sized the district. Yeah. That we are continuing to spend money to um, to keep as many classrooms open mm-hmm. as we have, despite the fact that we've lost. You know, almost Mm -hmm. 10,000 children. I think it's like 8,600.
0: Is the BPS making some progress, though? I mean, they're under, uh, you know, uh, the state threatened to take over the schools, and uh, they're under an advisory, or I'm I'm not sure how we're classifying that exactly. But, uh, you know, we're watching, and uh, they haven't been doing, they had not been doing very well. Are they? doing any better? Uh, is there any way to tell?
1: It's. I think it's too soon to tell, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they are still, um, you know, they're under this um, MOU from yeah. the state in yeah, terms of certain metrics that have to be met. I know transportation gets a lot of press coverage, and we know that yeah. transportation really hasn't improved to the level that the state wanted yeah. to see. Yeah. We know, for example, with for our students with disabilities, our English learners, right. they're also still not hitting you know, mm-hmm. not getting the right placements, not getting the right services, and so I think this is an area where the BPS is continuing to struggle. So, mm-hmm. um, I, again, I know Superintendent um, Skipper is working diligently mm-hmm. to address all of these she's issues. She's been in but the
0: BPS system, so she's she uh, fully aware of uh, you know where they you know where the uh, potholes are or whatever you want to call it. I guess that that wouldn't be the right uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> analogy for education, but uh, certainly you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, why is it? I mean, this has been going on for, I don't know how many years. And, and, you know, know, Boston as an urban city, urban system is not the only one. But uh, uh, there seems to be, is it a lack of will? It's not a lack of money. Look at the money that's being put into this. Or what is it that's uh, holding the BPS system back, you know, from... uh, I mean, we have all these universities here. We have, uh, you know, all these resources. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's, what, what's lacking there? Uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, uh, and, you know and, I, and I've been hearing, and it's not just uh, Mayor Wu, and, 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 you know, good for her, you know, that she's, you know, at least put a plan out there for, you know, something. But, uh, you know, it's been going on in mayors in the past. They all say, oh, we're going to make uh, education a priority. Yet it never seems to happen. And I know you were uh, involved in your organization in a, you know, a survey of, of uh, I'm guessing, uh, you know, uh, stakeholders and especially parents uh, on what they see as the shortcomings or what needs to be improved or yeah. just in general their feelings about the BPS. and. Uh, I, I don't I, I'm trying to recall all the details but it wasn't very positive uh,
1: well there was this, a poll that was done yeah. by a, a partnering organization the Education trust did a poll with mass yeah. Inc that was uh. talking about family satisfaction with okay. with schools not just in Boston but across the state um, and it was a mixed bag it was absolutely a mixed bag yeah. of results uh, the poll that we did um, you know recently with mass Inc, was focused on we really wanted to get a sense of, with based on the legislative platform that the Mass Teachers Association had put forward, we wanted to see what did voters and families think about that? Like, mm-hmm. should teachers have the right to strike, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, we found that, in fact, most of the folks that we polled across the state didn't believe that teachers should have a right to strike. Mm-hmm. They believed that children should be in school, especially after the loss of learning time that's transpired over these last three years. Um, So that was something we really wanted to get a, a voter sense of. The other piece was related to the Thrive Act, which is currently before the legislature and that is something that the teachers union is also supporting that would take away the state's authority to put chronically underperforming districts into receivership. And so um, that was something that um, we saw overwhelmingly that families and voters are saying, in fact, no, the state should be able to have the authority to say to a chronically underperforming Mm -hmm. district that we're gonna step in and we're gonna make sure that this district is doing everything it can to improve outcomes for kids.
0: And and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is that the legislation that also would have an effect on whether uh, MCAS is Correct. a, is a uh, graduation a, requirement, right, so that's right.
1: also those yeah. are the two key components to the Thrive Act: is the state's authority mm-hmm. to put a district into receivership, and uh, whether MCAS should remain as a graduation requirement. And so, um, and so, what we found was even in terms of standardized assessments. Now, MCAS itself, I think, um, you know, fam- some families have mixed results. It's actually when you ask a question about MCAS, it's almost a 50-50 split in terms mm-hmm. of how families feel about it. But if you pose the question, Joe, and say, do you believe that the state should have an annual standard assessment so that we can know exactly how students are doing and we can compare results from one student group to another? And the overwhelming response is, yes, we do believe that there should be an annual standardized assessment. Whether a
0: GEMCAS or something else. Or, uh, or
1: something else, but something that's standardized so mm-hmm. that you can, again, it's important for us to know how are different groups of children doing. Um, we would have no other way of knowing, like, how are English learners doing in our school system? How are students with mm-hmm. disabilities doing? Students of color, low-income students, it is vitally important for us to have that information. For as hard as this data can be, and looking at this data over the last few years has been devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important for us yeah. to, to Well, know. and a
0: lot of parents, uh, there was a recent article in the, I think it was in The Globe, that a lot of parents, parents of color, black parents, are voting with their feet. They're pulling their kids out of the Boston public schools and moving into the suburbs or sending them to charter schools or sending them to parochial schools or whatever, but some dissatisfaction. Did you get a sense from that, or maybe it's not the kind of survey that could uh, discern that kind of info? uh, what the feeling was about, for instance, the Boston public schools.
1: I mean we our polling was not specific to again to to sure. to that particular issue, but what we know from the data and from other groups that have been polling on that issue is that yes, the number one population that's been lost in mm-hmm. the Boston public schools it is black families and black students. Um, and so we know and charter school enrollment has stayed pretty mm-hmm. consistent, yeah. so we, we're not seeing steep increases right. of course, um, there's been at a, all.
0: A cap on the number of schools. There's
1: a cap in Boston. Right. Yes. yes, we've reached yeah. our cap yeah. here because the Boston public schools budget goes up every year, the number of charter school seats increases. There's mm-hmm. there's a complicated formula involved with that, mm-hmm. but the cap has been reached here in Boston. Um, so, but but I think people are leaving. They're either leaving the city or mm-hmm. they are putting their children in private schools.
0: What's missing from this discussion? <laughs> you, know, uh, you're, our, our, uh, you know, your organization is Democrats for uh, education reform. Why, why Democrats? Why not everybody? Or is that part of the problem because they're the party in power here?
1: Well, certainly in Massachusetts, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know we're blue, we're blue, blue we're un- we're unique that way. Um, but we, you know, as an organization, we are we are we are a partisan organization, mm-hmm. and we support Democrats who will be champions for children. I mean, to going back to one of your earlier questions of why things don't change, I think that there is oftentimes a strong adherence to the status quo. Change is hard. Change is met with resistance. Mm. But if you're doing things the same way and you're not seeing improved results, and even here in Massachusetts, like we know that our white student groups and our Asian student groups do very well in Massachusetts. Our black and brown students, our English learners, and our kids with disabilities, and our low-income students Mm. are not doing as well. This is something we have the resources, Joe, We just need to provide the proper level of support for these kids to succeed in our school system.
0: Where does that start? What's missing there? Is there not the political will? Is it uh, uh, union issues, Uh, uh, collective bargaining issues, Uh, 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 poor management? Uh, Yeah. Poor leadership on the part of political leaders. What, 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 what's
1: honestly, I think it can be all of the above, and I okay. think that even when we look at a district like Boston, we have had very inconsistent leadership when it comes to our schools. I mean, over the course of 10 years, I think yeah. we've had I don't even know seven yeah. superintendents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's problematic. Like we need steady leadership, but we also need someone who is willing to challenge the status quo to say like if we see you know incredible levels of failure and we have you know like a 30 percent reading proficiency rate in our elementary schools in Boston. And when you look, when you break it down further by student groups, those numbers are even lower. Right. And so if we are not even doing the most basic thing but, but, but of but teaching the children outrage? to read. Where's the outrage? And people
0: say that's unacceptable. And I, you know, I, I think it's really unacceptable, especially for uh, students of color. I mean, it's, it's, you, you want to talk about uh, discrimination, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, systemic racism, or I, I'm not sure how you'd describe that. I mean, you know, you're, by doing that, creating a, almost a permanent underclass, you know?
1: Correct, because if a student is not reading on grade level by third grade, uh, their chance of succeeding, of graduating from high school, yeah. um, is greatly diminished. And so one of the things that we're working on, we also work at the legislative level, so we're working on a literacy bill right now at the state house, um, so, so that all districts in the state of Massachusetts, because even across the state, Joe, of kids in our elementary schools are reading on grade level. So in cities like Boston, those numbers are even worse. But if only 50% of kids are reading on grade level in elementary schools, Mm -hmm. we are doing something terribly wrong. And so we want to see districts return to research and evidence-based reading instruction, Mm -hmm. which is something we've moved away from. Um, We are not saying that all districts have to use this curriculum, but we are promoting a bill that would say it Mm -hmm. has to be research and evidence-based. Um, and so that is something we're hoping because we do need to address this. Well,
0: and uh, we've got just a, a minute or two left here, but you know, I got to ask you. Of course, not not so much here, but uh, across the country, there's uh, attempts by, well, uh, depends. A lot of it is coming in in red states to try and change the curriculum in not a good way. You know, I think a lot of people would think. And so, does that breed or? or uh, some you know, contempt or wariness of uh, change making those kinds of changes. I know, don't to think. A so, curriculum? I don't
1: think so here in Massachusetts yeah. because thankfully we are not a book banning state, yeah. and I'm extremely Thank grateful God, that yeah. we are not facing the issues that some of the red states yeah. Yeah. Um, are facing. Um, we want kids to read all books, but we need to teach them how to read, and yeah. we need to use evidence based curriculum yeah. to teach them how to read. You know, and so there's a wonderful podcast that called "Sold a Story." Where this reporter, you know, digs deeply into the fact that we've moved into, uh, for a number of years now, other programs where we're teaching kids to read by guessing, like, oh, what is this picture? You know, yeah. and you know that's not how you learn how to read. I, I remember yeah. so distinctly when I was in the Boston public schools, my phonics-based yeah. instruction, sounding out words, sounding out letters. Phonics, oh um, my gosh, yeah. Yep,
0: I well, mean, and you know, and maybe instead of worrying about what, what. Students are reading. We should worry about whether they can whether read. Whether they it. are reading. And they're reading proficiently. i got just a minute left. Uh, of course, it's easy to kind of criticize, and certainly uh, in, here in Boston, schools have have uh, a rather sordid history, I would say, in terms of achievements. But uh, what gives you hope? Uh,
1: what gives you, you hope? You wouldn't be in this business <laughs>
0: otherwise if you didn't believe, Absolutely. You didn't believe in, in something deeply because it's you know i know sometimes it's like banging your head against the wall
1: we had a really good hearing this week on this literacy bill and that gives me great hope despite the fact that there were folks in the room who spoke out against Hmm. the bill which which is not surprising given the context that we know that we're operating within but we had really i think really favorable feedback about the bill itself and what we're trying to do i have really great faith in mary skipper and her level of dedication Hmm. to the students of boston and wanting to do the right thing i am really glad to see that city hall and mayor wu are talking about how do we reshape this district what mm. do we need to do next
0: at least some acknowledgement that uh some major changes need yes to happen.
1: major changes are needed we mm. have for so long put all of our hope and all of our you know into these three exam schools and there are so many other schools that we need to look at. In Madison Park, you know, again, when we look across the state at the other Vogue Tech schools, Mm -hmm. Worcester Tech, where President Obama came and spoke at their graduation, I mean, these schools have been pillars of the community Mm -hmm. and training students to um, go out into the world and, you know, to thrive in in their professions. And so we really have an opportunity here, and we're going to seize it.
0: Well, keep at it. I will. Again, nice to have Thanks, you here. Thanks, Joe. Mary Tamer, she is the executive director of uh, Democrats for Education Reform, a uh, advocacy group, and tonight talking about uh, schools, and particularly Boston Public Schools. We'll keep talking about them as well. Uh, when we come back, though, we'll shift gears uh, back to politics. It is an election year, and uh, now the... Uh, Deadline has been pushed back a little bit for the district city council races, but lots of candidates signing up. And you'll meet one of them tonight that's running in District 8, excuse me, District 3. Uh, There's talk that there could be as many as eight candidates before all is said and done. You'll meet Matt Patton. He is a uh, labor lawyer and uh, has thrown his hat into the ring and off to a, a quick start when we return with more of Talk of the Neighborhoods.
2: I don't know why you're so sad. You've got a roof over your head. You gotta stop with that depression stuff. That's
1: what white people think. You all right? It just feels like it's coming from everywhere. Do you want to talk about it? You can talk to me if you're feeling sad. Whenever you need to talk, I'm here, okay?
2: Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen. Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad, do stars visit their friends? Look! My character, Shazam, knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. Ah! And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward.
0: We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Want to get out of here?
2: To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take
0: a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together.
1: Today, we face an unprecedented crisis. Tens of millions of refugees have been forced from their homes. But you can make a difference. Turn disruption and despair to hope and opportunity. Even small amounts make a big difference. Provide shelter, support, or jobs in your community. The more we understand, the greater sense of belonging we create. Act now. Visit supportcrisisrelief.org. It's time. Donating pet food is one of the many ways you can help families in your community. Pets and people belong together. Learn more at petsandpeopletogether.org.
0: Do it for your roommates. Do it for your teachers. Do it for your crush.
1: When it comes to wearing a mask, staying six feet apart, and avoiding large gatherings, do it for everyone in your life. Together, we can keep COVID-19 out of school.
0: Talk about it here all the time. All right, we're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. Uh, I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, a two-part show. And the second half, well, it is an election year. And uh, tonight, we're continuing our coverage of Election uh, 2020. Three, the Boston City Council elections this year, this fall. There's been uh, a few special elections, but uh, the general or the preliminary and final election in the fall are starting to attract a lot of attention, and especially in the wake of the redrawing of the city council districts. Uh, a judge threw out the, or, or questioned the original map, and a new map was drawn, and... Uh, approved by the city council, signed by the mayor, and uh, so now the uh, the race is on to get those signatures on. Joining me, a guy who very quickly got his signatures, knew he was gonna be in this race, uh, Matt Patton from uh, Dorchester. Nice to have you here, Matt. Thank you for having me. And so much. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell our viewers who are not familiar with you, and uh, it's, I, it depends upon who you talk to, I heard there could be as many as eight candidates in this race. Maybe, you know, maybe ultimately not that many, but uh, uh, who's Matt Patton and what should, we, what should uh, we know about you and the viewers and voters know about you?
2: Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a workers' rights attorney, um, I'm a community organizer. I, it was instilled in me from kind of a young age service. My, uh, my mom's a nurse, my grandmother and aunt were public school teachers, and they taught me kind of... You should stand up for what's right and and serve your community. And I saw the benefits of service um, growing up. I entered kindergarten. I had a speech impediment and I struggled to read. And it was my teachers. It was the after school program staff that lifted me up. And that is kind of what has driven me to service, um, driven me to, you know, join the Mark Kennedy Shriver congressional campaign, work with his family in the Special Olympics, work with Special Olympics athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really, it's, it's about, you know, serving your community to me. Um, and I see this as a great opportunity mm-hmm. to, to, to do that.
0: And you're uh, a, uh, a labor lawyer now. And yes. That's an oversimplification, whatever we call it now, the employee, employee rights or, yep. or what have you. Uh, with the firm, uh, that's uh, Shannon Lissarudin, who, yep. who ran for attorney general. And uh, uh, what impact did that have on you? And, were you involved in that campaign? What did you take out of that uh, uh, in anticipation, perhaps, of making this run?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, um, having the opportunity to, to work with Shannon and, and Harold Lichton, the other um, named partner at the firm, you know, th- they've been standing up for workers for a long time. Um, I think if you look at the history of the cases that they've brought, they've advanced the cause of workers, whether it's fighting um, to ensure workers are paid what they should be whether it's a minimum wage or overtime fighting um discrimination you know uh, harold spent 10 years um fighting the use of a discriminatory test for police officers and just won that right and so what i've taken from both of them is that the arc that we fight for our values is long and that you you can't give up because you lose and one at one point you need to keep pushing and so what I've learned from both of them and from, from others that I've spent time working with is that we need to continue to move forward and continue to, to, to try to make sure that our children um, have it a little bit better than mm-hmm. we, we did.
0: Well, it's very high-minded and, and inspiring, Matt, uh, 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 but... Uh, Uh, District city councilors spend most of their time thinking about potholes, I think. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure. Are you ready for this? What makes you think you're you're, uh, a candidate, the right person to uh, be a district city councilor and do that kind of gritty, you know, grunt work? I I think that's fair to say in many cases. uh, uh, Constituent work. I mean,
2: I think constituent work, right, whether it's potholes, which are, critically important, whether it's our sidewalks in Savin Hill, um, you know, the sidewalks to get to the T are closed because they're broken. Um, you know, it's it's education. City government is where people interact daily with their government. And so, you know, I, I think the, the reason that I believe I'm ready for this is I, I've spent a career um, bringing people together to talk about mm-hmm. important issues. right? It, Potholes are really more emblematic of the tra- you know, transportation and infrastructure that we need to fix. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to bring people together. We need to start to talk about making sure that every child in this city has access to a high quality seat. Mm-hmm. We need to um, seriously tackle the housing crisis. We need to make sure that we're building more, but doing that mm-hmm. with an eye towards infrastructure and thinking about how people are moving from one place to another. And as a city, and especially city councilors, we need to advocate to fix the T. It, it used to take me 25 minutes to get to my law firm's office, and now it takes an hour. It's unacceptable. Right. And so, while that is the state and federal government's um, kind of purview, we need to be better at mm-hmm. going and making sure that they are investing so that we have reliable and safe public transportation. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, did the uh, the lines, the new lines that were redrawn, lines affect you in any way? Would have you been in District Three? And were you planning to run regardless of whether uh, the Councilor Baker ran for reelection?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm kind of. So I live in Savin Hill, which is kind of the middle. Sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, the lines could have moved anyway. Yeah. Um, but but I don't think the the what was discussed with the shifting. You know, I, I would have been in District Three. Um, You know, I started to to think about running after my wife and I went through the...
0: And you live in Savon Hill?
2: Savon Hill, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I live in Savon Hill. So that's kind of the center center of the district. Um, After we went through the kindergarten admission process, and uh, we took, you know, we had to take time off work to go and kind of understand the process, and we had the opportunity to do that. But, you know, I represent workers who make minimum wage and can't do that, and we need to start to not only talk about equality in education, but equity. And that's what drove me to to run was that, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't in the same place as my classmates. I had a speech impediment, Mm -hmm. right? I struggled to read. And my community gave me resources. So when I was going through that admissions process, I realized that not everyone has has the same access to education in the city. And and I started to talk to my wife as we went through that process Mm -hmm. and thought, you know, we could run, and we could hopefully make a difference in changing education for everyone. Does the
0: new district, the, the redrawn district, and uh, I'm not sure if the judge has signed off on it yet, uh, not clear on that, but uh, if it is uh, approved, uh, does that work for you, or uh, did you think it needed to be redrawn?
2: You know, I think... District- uh, Frank
0: Baker was one of the you know, plaintiffs in the, uh, in, in the case, or, or at least helped to raise the money to uh, fund the case, but uh, what was your take on that? Was the the district that was originally drawn unfair in any way?
2: My take is that um, voters, whether they live in Savin Hill or Adams Village or Fields Corner or Upham's Corner Mm -hmm. or the South End, that um, they're not focused on what their precinct is. They're focused on making sure that their child has an education, right? Mm -hmm. They're focused on making sure that they can get to work. And so I think what we, those of us who have decided to run and enter mm-hmm. this field um, need to focus on are those things. And I think that's what we need to talk about. We need to stop focusing so much on where precinct lines are mm-hmm. and start to focus on the things that are impacting people on a daily basis.
0: Well, and, and not to belabor the point, but uh, the way it was, uh, uh, put out there was the original map that was approved was uh... uh all the talk about creating opportunity districts which meant uh... was essentially is uh, that would allow a candidate of color to win that district some would argue it already was an opportunity district uh... depending upon who you talk to upwards of two-thirds of the people there are people of color and uh... uh you're as a white man running in the race. Uh, how does that affect you? And and what was your take on the, on that? Is there a, is there some kind of deliberate uh, gerrymandering? I, I mean, I think it's you know we're kind of beyond that point now. But uh, uh, for many years, uh, was called that district was called Dorchester by the Sea, and the reference was that it was a white district when in fact it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that affect you? How does it affect your candidacy? How do you deal with those kinds of issues, uh, those discussions about race?
2: You know, I, I think we need to have discussions about race. I think um, those of us from different races need to be able to sit down and talk. And these are issues that um, are incredibly difficult and that we need to understand that not everybody is impacted the same way by race. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a three-year-old son, and I am fully aware, you know, I, I used to work for John Barrows. And, right, and he and has...
0: Former uh, economic development yeah. uh, director, whatever its title was, under the Walsh administration. Yeah,
2: and, and so John lives about the a... Dudley month.
0: Square Initiative uh, yeah. executive director? I, I think <laughs> i that right. Yeah, yeah.
2: John's, John's, his, John's resume is, is long and, and, and um, very uh, admirable. But John lives uh, about a mile away from me in Upton's Corner, and uh, he has a, a couple boys. And uh, I fully understand that the discussions that John has to have with his sons are different than the discussions that I'm going to have to have with my son. Mm. And I think we need to acknowledge that, and I think we need to talk about that. And I think we need to talk about race, and we need to be willing to sit mm. down and have hard discussions about race. Um, because we have a lot of issues in the city, and we have to acknowledge mm. that Black and brown men, are not, are not um, their lives are not valued as much as, as others. And that is a societal problem, mm-hmm. right? We, we also, though, need to acknowledge that it is not just the police that are causing that problem. Trayvon Martin was not killed by a police officer. Mm-hmm. Ahmed Armory was not killed by a police officer. If we're going to talk about race, we need to do it as a society, and we need mm-hmm. to stop just singling out one specific group and saying it's their fault. We all need to step up and we need to have a discussion about race so that every child is able to have access to the things that other children have access to. John should not have to have a different discussion with his son because his son happens to be black and my son happens to be white. Our sons should both have access to the same thing, high quality education, transportation, and the ability and opportunity. Mm. And, and I want
0: to talk to, uh, about that, especially about uh, education. Mary Tamer was just here when we were talking about it. And, you know, it's been going on forever. But uh, I, want, I want to go back to the, the whole race discussion, because, uh, of course, some people would say, uh, man, what are you, crazy? Have you been watching the uh, Boston City Council proceedings lately? Uh, uh, some have called them toxic, uh, certainly divisive, uh, to say the least. A lot of it uh, around race, or perceived race, or perceived inequities, and um, you know, uh, I'm trying to find some middle ground there, as, uh, as a lot of people are, but uh, uh, you know, why would you want to put yourself in the middle of that? You know,
2: whether it's a city council or it's, it's national politics, mm-hmm. um, we appear to be getting to the point where you can't disagree without being disagreeable. And, and I think we need, for those of us who believe that we can have discussions about difficult issues and disagree with someone sitting across the table and try to come to to a resolution without screaming at each other, don't put our hat in the ring. Then you end up with, with what we're seeing at the at the national level throughout
0: politics, Which right? is, uh, lesser of evils, or, or you know even more you know poor choices. I, I think some would say. Um,
2: but, but, to, but you know, w- what we've seen over the past year, year and a half at the city council, I think is different than what we, we see from people on, an, on a daily basis in the city. I went um, today and visited with T. Michael. at yeah, the, the That's a
0: true reflection. You don't think of uh, how people feel in the city?
2: I think there are more people who want to work on the issue of race in the city and do it in a, in a real way. throughout the city. I sat down with T. Michael. Um, He operates the People's Academy where he's training folks in his backyard, right? Um, He's black, I'm white. We wanna work together, right? And we can do more of that. And we can sit down and have discussions and talk about education and make sure that every kid has access to a quality education. Um, We can talk about policing. Um, We can talk about racism. Um, we can talk about all these issues, we can talk about LGBTQ plus IA issues, we can talk about these things if we do it in a way that -hmm. we're not making personal attacks.
0: Was Frank Baker not doing that? Was he not contributing? Were you going to run? I I missed that. Did you say you were going to run regardless of whether Frank ran again or not?
2: I started to to think about it when um, Frank said he he wasn't going to run, which was right around when we were going through the admissions process. Um, so that's kind. Of, that's when I first first kind of started to think about it. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of folks who on the city council that um, contributed to the, the the need to kind of move past some things.
0: Mm-hmm. White and black. Uh,
2: I think I think there's a couple of folks that that could have mm-hmm. you know toned T- down. Toned it down a little yeah. bit.
0: Yeah. So. I think that's fair to say. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. But uh, nonetheless, I, I, I think the council's uh, uh, and you know I'm not here to express opinions, but you know I, I think its uh, reputation was damaged a bit uh, in the course of those discussions. And people said, "Whoa, you know, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's uh, now it's it's come down to the local level." It's one thing when you've uh, uh, got you know trump uh throwing insults at everybody and uh but now you know you you've got uh, people that you think are reasonable they're all in the same pot so to speak you know uh, uh shouting insults at each other and uh it's un- you know it's unfortunate I, I really do think because it's a, there's a lot of really good people on that body and so but uh, uh, we've got just a few minutes left. Sure. And I, I, you know, you, you mentioned and you talked about your uh, you know going through the uh, pre-registration process for uh, <laughs> for schools. Mm-hmm. Did you ever figure it out? Because it's pretty <laughs> it's it's pretty complicated, and a lot of people are are not happy about. It, haven't been happy with it for a long time, and, and uh, there's a lot of people voting with their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, Especially, I mean, I I think the numbers are are showing that uh, especially uh, a lot of uh, parents of color, black parents, are just leaving the city or or trying desperately to get their kid into a charter school because they've lost faith in the Boston public schools. And some would say that because uh, politicians are so eager to pander to uh, labor unions that they've kind of stuck their heads in the sand. I'm playing old devil's advocate here. I don't. I'm, I don't have anything <laughs> for the against, labor attorney. I don't have anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't have anything against labor unions. I'm a member yeah. of one myself. So Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, how do you reconcile that? All of that. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, and w- w- let's see, you got about thirty seconds. Sure. No, I'm just kidding. No, I th- no, I <laughs> no.
2: I think it's it's. Um, I think issues are, are kind of getting mashed together. There there seems to be this belief that. Um, in providing teachers and staff of uh, schools with the rights that they deserve, in some ways detrimental to educating our kids. Workers' rights, which all teachers and employees deserve, is, is not going to force bad education. Every school, whether it's charter, whether it's public or private, mm-hmm. should be organized and it should be unionized but that doesn't mean we shouldn't Mm -hmm. have different types of schools and so if we're going to um, fix education if we're going to build schools so that every kid has heating and cooling that every kid has access have good facilities, good facilities, drinking water if every kid has access to to the resources they need the same way i did to get overcome speech and reading we need to stop boiling down the education discussion to pro or anti-charter, to pro or anti-union. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about, when you talk to people, as I've been doing on, when I'm knocking on doors, mm-hmm. they're talking about the facilities. They're talking about access to the assistance that their kids need. And so we need to start to focus on delivering on those things and stop with just the, um, are you on this side of the coin or that side of the mm-hmm. coin? And if we start to focus on that, I, I know that we can come together and that we can get kids educated while also providing workers in those schools with the rights mm-hmm. that they deserve.
0: Well, you know, the, uh, I, I don't know if it's the irony of it, but uh, uh, none of the improvements that everybody wants can happen without the teachers and paras and, you know, uh, the support staff. Don't get me wrong. You know, on the other hand, uh, there does seem to be you know some kind of impediments put up by the union, which is, is more uh, concerned about uh, protecting seniority and and benefits, etc. And I, don't get me wrong, <laughs> I'm like when you worked in the system for 20 years or whatever, yeah, you know, you should have uh, you should have some protection uh but uh, how, how do you get those people together I, I mean what what's what's lacking there is it to you know kind of call out whatever party is you know on the outs on on a particular thing uh because you know i mean the the, the city barely avoided a state takeover of the schools and you know that's no panacea uh, because it's been shown that uh, some of the other school systems have been taken over, they might have shown minor improvements, but it's not dramatic. Certainly not to the level that a lot of people would like. So, uh, but you know what what's missing there is uh, does Matt Patton have the uh, political will to kind of uh, uh, call a spade a spade to kind of point out uh, uh, when somebody is uh, you know. Uh, not willing to, to change or compromise or whatever because it seems like you know, it's gotta come from somewhere. And uh, has, has, you know, uh, do you see that from the mayor? Uh, can you work with the mayor on this stuff?
2: So I think the, the first thing we need to do is w- we need to stop just pointing fingers and looking for who to blame. Yep. We need to start pointing at the problem and mm-hmm. fixing the problem. Yep. Too often we're looking to say it's that person's fault, it's this person's mm-hmm. fault, it's that group's fault and start to say what is the problem and how are we going to fix it and bringing people to the table. When we start with pointing fingers, you start mm-hmm. that is when people start to walk away from the table and get their backs up against the wall. You know, we want to support teachers and if we want to talk about how we're going to fix education, well let's make sure that the teachers that are educating our kids in the city, mm-hmm. can afford to live in the city. Let's, let's fix the housing crisis. Yeah. If we wanna talk about um, educating our kids, let's make sure that they have the ability and the, and the transportation to get to school safely, right? So let's stop saying it's the teachers' union's fault, it's the, these people's fault, it's those people's mm-hmm. fault, and start to say, why are our buildings crumbling? Why are we not, why are we not getting every um, Penny we can
0: from the state. Good question. We've got just a minute or two left. I I want to ask you about if the field is as big as it's anticipated, how does Matt Patton stand out? How do you win that race, a race like that? Now, you've been involved in political campaigns before, so you're you're no uh, novice at this, but uh, how do you win that seat?
2: So I I go from the top of the district to the bottom of the district. I think the great thing about district three is it 's a, a microcosm of the city. it has Vietnamese, it has Cape Verdean it has African American it has um, you know Irish, it has white, it has black um, it has folks from different economic um, um, places and, and going to those different neighborhoods and talking to folks about what their their concerns are, talking to them about the importance of education, talking to mm-hmm. them about the importance of transportation. I have built coalitions, whether it's working for Deval Patrick. Um, I have advocated for people. Um, I have I've brought people together in a way where we can have you know, hard discussions about the issues that we've talked about here, and that people, even when they disagree, can understand the importance. Shoe leather,
1: shoe leather. sounds like shoe yes. leather.
0: Uh, again, uh, Matt Patton is uh, running for District Three City Council. Uh, nice enough to come in here tonight. Uh, that's a Dorchester district. Uh, Fortunately, we're out of time for tonight. Matt, thanks for joining Thank us. You. For the entire staff and crew here at BNN, I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Thank you for watching. Have a great day. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston Mass, 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.